Hello and welcome to 3 and 2 episode 16. Ooh, it's a match play Age of Sigma podcast. That's... Oh, fuck this. I've, I've lost it. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of 3 and 2, the match play Age of Sigma podcast. My name is Rich, and as always, I'm joined today by Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Hello. And Laura. Hi, Laura. Hello. Perfectly normal intro. No problems. That was the first time, and it all went well. Yeah, we're professional. Like I said, it's episode 16. Can you believe we've done 16 of those? We missed our anniversary, I think. Yeah, we probably talked about it at the time. I don't... I have no memory of that, but also I have no memory of anything that happened more than 24 hours ago, so... It could yeah. well could well have happened. We don't really have like a, a big main topic this episode, so it's just gonna be sort of a free form meander through our usual kind of stuff, which as always, we start with hobby updates. So, Matthew, have you done any hobby? Mm. Have I done any? That's a really interesting question. Um, I'm glad you've come to me first on that one, Richard. Um, no. <laughs> uh, um, I've done this. I've made a shark. Oh, you did the the cool base, though. It's pretty cool. So he's uh, mounted on the Megadroth ribs. Uh, if you remember the terrain set that came out with the Thondia book. It was a big skeleton, and I've used some ribs as a, a flight stand. So eventually that will get painted. That's sort of the last shark I need for my theoretical brotherhood army. Um, so I'm not in any crazy rush, he says, looking at the calendar. I had the treacherous thought to myself the other day of, well, actually it's in sort of late January this time. So I've got way longer than I thought. <laughs> You don't. You've already pivoted army once, you definitely can't do it again. No, that wasn't as though to say, and so I will pivot. Just, you know, maybe I don't need to panic as much as I have been. Yeah. Is is that the sum total, Matthew? That's it. Built a shark? Built a shark. Um, Oh, no, that's not being completely fair to myself. Um, I built and painted um, the the new Wood Elf lads. I can oh, absolutely um, remember his name. Belthanos. 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 What elf? Who do you think you are? That looked really good as well. You're underselling yourself. It's cool model. It is really it's cool. cool model. I, I sort of had to um, rush it for hashtag ad whip reasons, but um, it's enjoyable. I, if you are a listener doing Belthanos yourself, um, which you should if you have a self enough army, or maybe even not, if you just have priests in an order army, he's pretty good. Mm. What I would advise you to do is not do what I do and just build it as one piece. Um, it's designed pretty well for sub-assemblies, so maybe just do that. Mm. You don't have to put the man on top of the bug until he's painted. Ah. Yeah. That's good. Was I just did it because uh, I hate sub-assemblies, but maybe that was a step too far. I mean, it's still quite an open pose, even if you do glue him on right. Yeah. Yeah, there's just some bug detail that it's hard to get a brush in when he stood on it. Um, And some of the detail... It's detail you probably won't see, but there's like detail around his cloak and stuff that you can't really get to if he's glued to the bug. But yeah, it's fine. You'll never see it unless you really, really look for it. Here you go. There's a hobby tip. Nice. 
This is a very cool model. If I had a Sylvaneth army, I definitely think I'd have jumped straight on that. Yeah. They just keep getting a really cool 300-point hero every six months, and it's fine. Grand. You can make a whole army of them now. <laughs> yeah, you genuinely can. It's so funny, everyone else just gets a little foot hero every now and again, but Sylvaneth, for whatever reason, just get like a massive lad or ladette. Yeah. Great. Yeah, very good. And you did a nice job of it as well, the saying that you rushed it. Thanks. I'm really happy with the bug. I'm not so happy with Belthamus himself, but it looks fine with the rest of the army. That's all that matters. All that matters. How about you, Laura? Have you been hard at work in the hobby mines? I've done some. I don't remember exactly what I had done as at the time of last recording, but I finished my 1,000-point Seraphon army for the narrative event that Rich and I went to in late October. So I think that probably means that I painted some Croxigore. I reckon I'd probably painted everything else as at the last one. So yeah, that was cool. I've got a thousand points of Seraphon now. At some point I will probably add to it and have two thousand points of Seraphon, but I'm going to take a little break. What's next? Croak. (laughs) No, I want to do some kind of big monster thing. Maybe a Stegodon because they're quite Not that big. None of the monsters are that big, are they? Yeah. I like the Stegodon though. It's my favourite of the models i think so probably one of them and then i can't remember the name the skink cavalry the skinks on little dinosaurs that aren't called raptorixes because that's a chaos but it's something like that that's the one raptodons i want to do some of them and some more sawdust just because i need battle line and you i don't know i like to paint the battle line early so you don't get stuck with it at the end but yeah that's probably an early 2024 project yeah and then i have at the moment i'm working on Death Gorge, the new Warhammer Underworlds box set. So I have painted the Thricefold Discord, which is a Slash Warband, and I'm currently painting whatever the Deepkin Warband is called, Serenis Reavers, I think. Something like that. Yeah. You're forgetting something quite big that you painted. I was coming to that. I was coming oh, to it, and I have sorry. painted Catacross, the yeah. Mothark of the Necropolis, for my OBR army. Um, and I felt so like good. I rushed it and it wasn't super happy and then everyone looked at it and went, we really like that. So I went, all right, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Bangs. But I think I just took a very good picture of him. Can't make a good picture without good content. But yeah, he's a really cool model. It was fun to paint. Good. I'm glad because he was sort of reticent to do it, but I'm I'm glad he was ended up being like, a fun project for you. Yeah, no, it was good. Such a cool model. I still have to decide whether I'm going to paint. Six Immortus Guard, and I think increasingly the answer is no, I'm just going to take six Necropolis Stalkers, which I already have and are fine. Yeah, that's not a terrible swap. They look cooler than the Immortus Guard as well, in my opinion. They do. I think that is... Yeah. You're making a face there. <laughs> I like the shields. They look cool. Mm. Yeah, the shields are cool, to be fair. What I really want to paint is the Vulcan Flameseekers, the first layer Warcry Warband, but I have to finish mm. painting these blasted fish elves first, and then I can have fun painting <laughs> cool gore. That's the ones with the, the baby Magmodroth, right? Yes. But more importantly, so the first female Dradin models in who knows how long. I'm super excited to paint them. I am quite excited about baby Magmodroth, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Yeah, and they have uh, notable AOS rules as well. Let's maybe not say too much about that, but I'm gonna. I mean, yeah. I'm, it does kind of mean I don't feel bound to paint them in my AOS Fastlayer color scheme. Yeah. So I think I will probably just paint them as a standalone Warcry Warband, and then I will probably at some point buy them again and use them as conversions for Fastlayer heroes for 
iOS. Neat. Yeah. How about you, Rich? What have you painted? Uh, as usual, trying to work out where. Um, you painted a million orcs. Yeah. yeah, shitloads of orcs is the answer of Iron Jaws. Um, I painted uh, 10 Ard Boys and an Ard Boy Big Boss and a Mega Boss. And then I painted the Mega Boss and the Big Boss again because I ruined them with varnish and I very nearly had to do the same to the 10 Ard Boys uh... as well. But I just escaped on them. Um, just. Don't experiment with varnish on models that you care about. That's my hot tip. Just don't varnish models. That's my hot tip. Nah, I use so much, so much contrast paint. I really have to. And also, just I'm a surface finish obsessive. Maybe it's the engineer in me, but <laughs> I, uh, I don't like shine. No shine anywhere on a model apart from blood effects on the iron jaws, please. So. What else did I paint? I did the big pig. I feel like I might have talked about the big pig last time. I think you might have done the pig last time. You did Zogrok. Yeah, I did Zogrok, the... Anvil Smasher. That guy. Anvil Smasher. I just want to say Destroyer. He was super fun. I tried to do it to a little bit of a higher standard than the rest of the army because I just really liked the model and I wanted to put some time in. Um, I think he came up pretty well. I'm quite happy with him. The whole army looks really good, to be fair. Thank you. For how for how quick you're banging them out as well. They look really good. <laughs> I played a game, which we might touch on in a bit, at Warhammer World with uh, mutual friend Luke. <laughs> and he leaned over the table at the start of the game and looked at my army and said, oh, they actually look all right. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> Incredible backhanded compliment. <laughs> look, that's, that's better than the blackout when I took bone splitters and Tomlin just walked over and said, not your best work. <laughs> oh, he's so savage. I can't get over it. <laughs> what else have I done? I finished, well, I'd already done some brutes, but I went back to them and put freehand on them to match the rest of the army that I've done since. It's Zogrok. I did a brief interlude to paint some Lumineth themed 3D printed scenery that my friend John very kindly gave to me. Well, our friend John, rather. So that was quite fun. That was just like a little couple of hours in an evening. It was a like, sort of a vaguely Egyptian-y themed pillar, except it's got Lumineth runes on it and an impression of Teclis's face. So... Is that what it is? I didn't realise yeah. it was Teclis. <laughs> uh, well, I assume it's supposed to be Teclis and not just uh... a elf. But... Uh, legally distinct Teclis, of course. Hmm. Uh, and I painted some brute rages who were the new like shirtless brutes with big weapons. Uh they were super fun. I did some extra freehand on their like weapon blades, which I stole. Uh wholesale stole that idea from a friend. So all the best painting is done by a stealing. Inspiration, I think is the word for it. Uh yeah, so that was super fun and has made me go, hmm, if I get time I'm gonna go back and do that on all of the weapons. But I don't think I can bring myself to do that because it would be like going over blood effect and then going back over it again with the blood. So maybe we'll we'll just do it on like the big stuff I do. Is your blood effect more involved than open the blood for the blood god? Slop on. It's two steps because I've got it right here. Yeah, open the it blood. Is, 
Yeah. <laughs> it is Duncan's blood effects, or Duncan Rhodes. So it's two different paints called Zombie Gore and Vampire Thirst. They are basically just like dark blood for the blood god and light blood for the blood god. I think the light one is maybe like a little bit more viscous than the, the dark one. So what I tend to do is put the dark one on and then like stipple it a bit with my finger or a sponge, depending on how lazy I'm being. Let it dry for a bit and then put the light one on before it's kind of like fully dry and do the same again. You end up with a sort of for like a very gory effect, it works quite well. I nice. don't tend to go for subtlety on blood effects, which I expect some people would uh, use criticism, but uh, it's, I like I it. Mean, it's, so, an, it's an origami, right? You don't need to be yeah. subtle. They're doing killing. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm painting the big boy, the more crusher. Yeah. Uh, a very conveniently timed friend messaged me and said, I've had a premium kit from Stormbringer magazine. Do do you want a more crusher for cheap? And now I have more crusher, so it always helps, doesn't it? Yeah, I'll you know, I'll take it over paying full price for it. So I finished the wing membranes, and I'm really happy with them. I do now have paint the rest of the owl syndrome without <laughs> finishing it. And uh, my local store's armies on parade is ongoing at the moment, and I've booked a slot to have photos taken next week. So. Need to get it finished. So that's my weekend project. And base colour and freehand and stuff on the Beastie is done. So I think that is just like a few hours of highlighting, really. And then, I mean, the, the boss on top is no different to any of the other characters. I painted yeah. it, it'd take a day or two. So that's that, I think. And then I've also tentatively started slopping some paint on some Gore Grunters for like when I'm bored of the more Crusher. But <laughs> I'm going to an event in early December, one day, 2,000 points, and I quite like to take an Iron Jaws list if I can. It won't be a superb, like, an idealised Iron Jaws list, I don't think, but I promise I will paint at least one more chance by then. Yeah. You've not painted one yet? Okay, I assumed you had one. I do have one, but it um, I had to strip it, and it didn't strip very well, so it went back in the goop, and I've since forgotten about it, and just thought I'll come back to that another time, so... I imagine it's uh, been stripped of all its paint and possibly some of its facial features by now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But it was it was a cheapy secondhand one, so oh, okay. You do need a war chancer though. It's, it's yeah. sort of a non-negotiable part. I know my it. local GW has one. If I if I reach that point of desperation where I really really need one, I need two. I think you like, really need two. I was going to say. There's basically no point not running two in the army, so. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that a bit more later, though. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's it for hobby. What about gaming? Has anyone done any gaming? gaming. Oh, dead air—that's a crime. No, I've been to a tournament, so I can talk about that. But I didn't know if anyone else wanted to talk about any non-tournament games before I did a Ooh. tournament one day. Well, you mentioned already, Laura. You and I went to that a thousand-point Shadow in the West. Yeah, which was. Really good. Well, I, I knew it'd be good. I've been before. I think you enjoyed yourself, though. It was extremely fun. I'm not sure there was a lot that I could usefully talk about in the context of match play AOS because I took a no. terrible Seraphon army and I lost all but one game. Um, <laughs> I also lost all of my games. So. <laughs> there is no losing in narrative gaming, though. So, it absolutely, still is. Yeah. Mm, yeah. No, I know it felt bad. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, Laura <laughs> did do one big piece of winning, though. Da, 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 da. It's not that big. I got third place for coolest army, which I was very happy with. Um, what do you mean it's not that big? Yeah. That's amazing. Third place. Like, I feel like if you win, as our friend John did, if I'm remembering this rightly, that's amazing. Third place. Yeah, I was very happy. Third means yours with the army that the third most number of people thought was the best one there. It's not the one that people <laughs> thought was the third best one, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. No, I was very pleased. I had no expectations of winning anything, so it was very cool. Yeah, I think you worked hard on that army. It looks good. It's well deserved. Thank you. I ain't get any fucking votes. <laughs> well, I joke. I have no idea if I got any votes or not. I didn't get a prize, but every army there was really good, so I'm not particularly bitter about that. In public. Oh, you've got a kitten. We've got a kitten. I, I apologise if this is coming over the audio. <laughs> no, but I'm not going to do any talking now that I yeah, can just look at the kittens. Semi-distracted <laughs> by cat. <laughs> so semi-destructed, fully destructed by cat. Yeah. Okay. Bye, bye, cat. She's gone. She's gone. She's still here. Just not on camera. Yeah. Uh, so that event was good. I have played three games of AOS recently, Whoa. which is a lot for me. One in person with aforementioned friend of show Luke, who pretty roundly pasted me with. Uh, his very nice Lanesh army. Uh, we play that Warhammer World, which is always nice. So, you know, playing the game also involves having a nice burger and a, and a big pint of Diet Pepsi and two coffees or whatever. <laughs> it's always a good time. Yeah, I took a big war list, but it was very non-optimized um, and just sort of fell apart because of it. I did have one turn that was I was like okay this is my high impact turn I am gonna kill Glutos and then my unit of bulb boys did I think after ward saves one mortal wound to him at which point I should have done something else but I still committed to charging everything into him and then he just sort of ate everything yeah he's good at that Luke used the lord of hubris really well sort of kited him around with Glutos um, to make something he could force something near him to fight only him so it gets fight first so sometimes you're sacrificing that model but it means for example like a unit of brutes with the violent fury damage buff on them had to put all of their volume of attacks into one small foot hero instead of Glutos while the mega boss failed to get I think again any wounds through on him very disappointing again like sort of talk about the logic behind that in a bit more detail later but um yeah, yeah so that was that was a big loss uh luke's been putting yeah work into that army he's been getting sneakily good with it as well i think yeah i mean it's very nice army and he's also now been playing games with it for like I don't know, two or three years right sort of just it's the one he defaults to so uh yeah like you say he he gets how it works and what to mm. do with it I think he is finally painting a third unit of Bliss Barb Archers as well, after threatening to for a long time. Has <laughs> <laughs> been look, look, he's done that. You know, he's done his Bliss Barbs quicker than I'm doing my Nomato Reavers. So I, I've got nothing I can say to him about that. Yeah, that one, that one poor unit of Reavers that's been whipped for about three years. <laughs> you really have. Yeah, I didn't realize you had any deep good left apart from that shock. Yeah. Has that one unit of ten half painted reavers? They genuinely have been half painted since I think twenty twenty. 
horrifying. Yeah. Other than that, I played uh, a remote game with uh, Chris, who is trying out the new Cities of Sigmar just before they got their slight points now. <laughs> Not that it changed his list a huge amount, I don't think. But um, they seem good, if complicated. It was actually his first game playing them, and it was my first game playing Big War. So it took us about six hours. <laughs> uh, it was really long. Chris took it in the end, but it was it was quite close. Well, I, I don't know if it was like meaningfully close, really, but it felt quite close until the score was really big at the end. So sometimes that happens in Sigma, right? Like the last yeah. few turns, you can run away with a score in a game that was otherwise really close. I've also lost a quite close game to Chris's cities uh, with my OBR. So nice. Oh, I watched quite a lot that game. That was uh, oh yeah, that was entertaining. Yeah. Um, it was interesting because we both had things that counted a lot of the stuff the other one wanted to do. So Chris could turn off Catacross's command ability that gives my whole army plus one to save and plus one to hit, which was quite sad for me. Um, but I could make his big unit of Fusiliers minus one to hit, which made them significantly less good. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting matchup. Crying, watching him roll that four plus for the Whisperblade every single time. No. So to, for people who haven't played against the New Cities, the Command Core has a model who once per turn has a four-up chance of cancelling a command ability uh, when it's used. So against OBR, you use it against Catacross's really, really good command ability. Um, and every turn, either the Whisper Blade cancelled it or I foolishly got Catacross stuck in combat and he can't do it when he's in combat. Um, yes, we managed to get it off once in the entire game and that was not great. <laughs> Catacross deserves that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is just pure, like, Mortark of Nagash energy, though, really, isn't it? Like, <laughs> hubristically failing for an entire game. Yeah. You see, like, when I used to run Arkan, I would just assume that he would do nothing, and then it wasn't disappointing when he failed to do things. But I think with Catacross, I actually have expectations he will achieve things. <laughs> and so then I feel let down when he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I've been talking for ages. God, what else today? I've played a game with Friend of Show Bear as well. That's the last thing I did. Pure Angels this time into Trogs. Uh, so it wasn't pure Trogs. It wasn't the Trog Herd Allegiance. But he did have Trog and three units of six rock guts. Two units of six rock guts. Lots of rock guts. <laughs> like three Madcap Shamans. A Dankhold Trog Boss. A Dankhold Trogoth. And Trug. I mentioned Trug. 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 Quite a cool army. Only quite cool. It's it's cool. And and he's committing to doing it in person, like in, in physical form, which is much cooler. I think we I can't remember which scenario we played, but we actually rolled um the like face to face battle plan where you can deploy in combat and decided that wouldn't necessarily be a very good test of our armies and re rolled it. Phil, this is ironic given one of the questions we have to answer. Yes. Later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he asked that question before we did that, to be fair. Or I might, I, maybe I'm misremembering and that was a different game I played. But yeah, I think I I did what you need to do with Iron Jaws, which is set up to hit big on turn one and have control of the turn order and take first turn. You usually give first turn with Iron Jaws. But... Did I give? Maybe I gave it. I did. I think I did. Whatever I did right, anyway. 
Uh, but I I didn't quite commit fully enough in that I didn't declare the war on the turn one charge and just like the more crusher and the brutes and the pigs kind of like all bounced and then got mm. by comparison utterly murdered by trogs. There's a really good commandability. They only have two attacks each, but if you issue all out attack to them with a certain character, they also get plus one attack, yeah, which is the dang cold, bad. Yeah. And then they're doing like. 18 damage 3 attacks I think and the bad moon does various other painful things like giving them wards and making them yeah. harder to hit and hit harder so he was gleefully telling me that he's worked out how to get the units up to 4 attacks through application of um, the sports platter yeah. fanatics so I'm not looking yeah. forward to playing that this weekend but <laughs> People people forgot about them during the the death meta, but the Gitz book is still low key, pretty it's cooked. Pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's all the all the gaming I've been doing. So that's a lot. You, you've been Age of Sigmaring up. Uh, that's yeah. That's because Brotherhood is coming up, and I'm determined to not be useless. <laughs> I'd rather like give it my best go and fuck it up than not play any Age of Sigmar for six months and then fuck it up. So that's the spirit. Yeah, definitely. Laura, I know you've got an event to talk about. Uh, Matthew, have you got any games you want to talk about? Played. I have. I've see. I'm the inverse to you. That I've played one Tusk game and assumed I'm now the Deepkin Master. Do not need to <laughs> do anymore. No, I've I played one game with with Laura. Actually, we played. You were testing out your Bone Reaper army that you haven't played yeah. all edition and that you're probably going to be taking to Brotherhood. And I need to test out Shark Spam, um, which I and everyone else on the internet realised was quite good um, when the Battle Scroll dropped. And yeah, it's quite good. <laughs> yeah. It was a game that was always going to go one of two ways very quickly. So either I was going to lift a load of Crucial Bone Reaper stuff early doors and then mop it up, or... I was not going to do that, and then the Bone Reapers win that grind really quite quickly. I think if once they get in there, because sharks eight wounds and a four up save does not does not last, even if you've got six of them, and there's not much else to the army really. There's like a turtle and a unit of eels, and that's it. So it doesn't doesn't take it on the chin very well on the backswing. So it, it does kind of have to land that blow, and that's kind of what happens. I think you maybe weren't happy with how you played your Mortec card. In that oh, game? I don't think I was happy with how I played anything. Um, so yeah, it was my first <laughs> game of ABR. So the first and probably most important mistake I made was that I gave you first turn, which means oh, yeah, I didn't that, have that my plus one to save or up when you were shooting me with everything, which was probably a fairly major error. And then, yeah, then I I charged you with the Mortec Guard, which was just a really silly thing to do because it meant they got out of any kind of buff radius of people who could heal them bring them back, cast spells on them or generally stop them from being utterly murdered by a turtle and three sharks. So it went pretty yeah. badly from that point. Um, yeah, but the sharks list seems really fun. You've got a lot of things you can... There's nothing in the army that can't hurt stuff apart yeah. from your one tiny wizard which is, yes. you know, feels like a it's, fun it's army to play with. all gas, 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 which is, it is good, for, yeah. good fun. Aspirationally looks like a list that is not going to be a grindy game as well like you, you know where that game's going pretty quickly most of the time i would expect uh, deepkin games i've never gone to time with deepkin mm. they they tend to be battle round three is it's over one way or the other yeah 
which it genuinely, if you're playing events, that is good. Um, <laughs> a lot of time for, for sitting down. Yeah, but like you can have a drink, you can have a wee, you can get your food first in the queue. It means you're not like having bigger headache times, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, fear that we are absolutely events. not that army, and for the all my games are going to no. go to time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. But that's that's been it for me, unfortunately. Laura, do you want to talk about the uh, the one day you went to? Yeah, so this was a one-day tournament at First Founding Club in Chessington in southwest London, which is actually really near my the house. The World of Adventures. So, uh, <laughs> it's probably near the World of Adventures, yes. In oh. this case, it was in a parish hall, so there was not so much World of Adventures. But it was, <laughs> you know, it was a perfectly fine venue for a tournament, I would say. They, I think they're were about 30 players. I should have checked these kinds of details. It was the first time they've run a tournament, so I think they were quite pleased with the turnout, and it was quite a good mix of a few very, you know, experienced, competitive ARS players who, you know, whose names I recognised from other tournaments and things, and then some people doing their first ever tournament, and then some people like me who were a bit in between. So that was quite nice. It looked really good. It looked fairly well laid out. The photos yeah, like. they had a decent amount of space, um, and they had they'd done like terrain maps for every table that specified whether terrain was impassable or garrisonable or obscuring, which was good. I think the only thing I would say is that they were obviously a little bit limited in what the actual terrain was. So there were some boards where you had two pieces of terrain that looked the same, and one bit would be impassable and one bit would be obscuring, which mm. is probably not ideal. Like because there was a map, it worked and it was fine. But it did lead to occasional bits of confusion. Um, yeah, I've, but, I've been to events know, that have were, done similar. Yeah. They're a small club. They're working with the terrain they've got. And realistically, not everyone can have however many wildwoods you would need to put two bits of forest <laughs> terrain on each table. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah, that is a relatively fair. minor criticism in the grand scheme of things. Generally, you know, it's really well run. It ran pretty much to time. The pack was pretty good. Yeah, it was, you know, solid one day event, I would say. So I guess I'll talk a little bit about my list and my games. So I took Gargants because I hadn't had any practice with OBR and there was no way I was going to run OBR for the first time at a tournament. So I took Gargants because I knew them really well and also the round times. In the pack, the round times were 2 hours 30. I think they made it 2 hours 45 on the day by rejigging the schedule. But I wanted something I knew I could run quickly and Gargants are a quick army to play. Uh, so my Gargant list was one Gatebreaker, one Kraken Eater, and one War Stomper, because those are the three Mega Gargants that I own. And then four Man Crushers, because you can fit four Man Crushers into that list now, which is fun. Uh, I ran it as Breaker Tribes, so the Gatebreakers are general, and that means that the army gets to pick something to get plus one to hit against. So it was plus one to hit against uh, models, units with command models. Okay, most units. Yeah. Idiots with flags, is that one? That is the one. And I took Amulet of Destiny on my general. I took Glory Shield of Protectiness, which is, um, <laughs> what is it? It's you ignore Rend 1 and 6 is to save the Immortal Wound back on the War Stomper, mm. I think. And then That's I have good. one of the Nullstone Enhancements on my Kraken Eater. Nice. Yeah. So, in the first game, I played against Josh with Nurgle. So he was running the Drowned Men sub-faction. He had the Glockkin, he had Orgots, he had the Lord of Afflictions, he had two units of two 
I've just written flies. I don't remember what the technical Oscar name Blight for Lords. the unit is. That's the one, and one of them by itself. And he had some plague bearers, and he had the Rotmire Creed, which I think is the Warcry mm. warband. Yeah. Oh no, they're wrong. They're the little ranged guys, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. The yeah, 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 yeah. 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 They're, they're quite good cool. at putting disease on because they get a lot of shooting attacks and they don't do a lot yeah. of damage, but sixes to hit give you a disease. Um, and we were playing, is it called Geomantic Pulse? Uh, so what the, whoever goes second on turn two, there's four objectives across the middle, and whoever goes second in the second battle round picks one side of the board for the pulse to start, and then the pulse and objectives near it are worth more points, and it moves across the board. Mm-hmm. He had choice of turn and went first, which I think was sensible for board control purposes, so he just moved everything up. The key thing in terms of how the rest of the game went was that he put the Glockin right in the middle and moved the Glockin right up into the centre of the board. And the Glockin has a sort of counter-charge ability, where I think mm-hmm. the way it works is at the end of your of the Nurgle player's movement phase, if the Glockin is within 12 inches of one of their models, of one of their units, and another Nurgle unit that is within 12 inches of one of their units, it doesn't have to be the same unit. It probably does have to be somewhere near the Glockin. I'm explaining this very badly. Then you can try and counter-charge... You can try and do a charge with the Glockin and the other unit in the other player's movement phase. So that's very good for getting the Glockin into combat, but it's also really good just for board control purposes because you Mm. can do things... If they were planning to charge onto an objective, you can charge into them instead and keep them off that objective. Or if they are planning to charge something you don't want them to, you can charge something else in and stop that unit from charging. So it seems like this was maybe only the second time I've played against the Glockin, but it was a game-defining ability, I would say, in sort of terms of how it was making me think about how I was going to move. I think he made a little bit of a mess of his battle tactic. He did a Nurgle one that meant he needed a unit of flies in every board quarter, and he got it, but it meant that the Lord of Afflictions, who was his general, was stuck in a sort of, at the back of the board, in a bit out of the way, because he needed it to score the battle tactic. It's a classic score battle tactic to lose game move, isn't it? It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that bad. He got in, you know, he was doing stuff by like turn three, but it just meant his general was less effective turn one than he might otherwise mm. have been. Yeah, when when your fast mounted cavalry are moving eight inches, it's uh, yeah. it's quite a painful sacrifice. Yeah. So this was one of the games in which I did not mess up my turn one battle tactics. So I set up for surround and destroy and scored it because uh, this is nice. one of the ones where the, your territory is only your deployment zone. So as soon as you move out of the deployment zone. It's pretty easy to get. And then I had a sort of solid turn one. I think I killed one of his units of flies with my gatebreaker and I got onto some objectives um, and, you know, scored as many points as I could have done. So that was fine. Then I won Pryo into turn two, which meant he could choose where the pulse was and he put it on my the left side of the board. So I think I had my war stomper on the left, my cracker eater in the middle, and my gatebreaker on the right, very roughly. Um, and so it... It, I don't. Th- it didn't feel like a hugely impactful decision because I had a gargan on each flank. But anyway, he put it there. So I tried to do a big turn. So I did lead into the maelstrom for my battle tactic, which is when you've got to charge in a hero and a battle line unit and have one of them still in combat at the end of the turn. And I was really hoping to kill Orgots. Uh, that was my goal for the turn. I wanted to charge the gatebreaker into Orgots and kill him. I did charge the gatebreaker into Orgots, but I, because the Glockin was so central, it wasn't really feasible to keep out of. 12 inches of him 
So I gave him, I think it was about a nine inch charge where he could get the block in into the Kraken Eater. And he made the nine inch charge, which made me quite sad. <laughs> so the block in got into combat a turn earlier and I was really hoping he would. And that was quite a big deal. So then the combat phase was kind of mixed. I didn't kill Orgots, which I was really hoping I would. I put a lot of damage on him, but the Gatebreaker didn't do as much as I would have liked him to. And then Is he the, block the one in... who heals back up? He's the magic one, Orgots. Right. Yeah. Is he? Oh, I don't think he's yeah, that magic. Morbid Dex Twiceborn is the, the one that heals yes, an incredible Yes, he's amount. the healing one. Yeah. Orgot's had some healing going on, I feel. But maybe Nurgle just has some healing going on. Nurgle always general. has healing, yeah. Yeah. And the Glockkin did tons of damage to the Kraken Eater. Um, he's got a horrific monstrous rampage, which is when he's on top bracket, it's like a, on a two plus he does seven mortal wounds to you or something horrific like that. Maybe it wasn't seven. It felt quite painful anyway and then on his turn he retreated Orgots out which was definitely the sensible thing to do because I would have killed him otherwise and the Glockin stayed in combat and killed the Kraken Eater so yeah that was definitely not great for me I was really hoping that the Glockin wouldn't make it into combat until his turn and then I would hopefully not have lost a Mega Gargant on that go okay. it's five mortal wounds thank god is it okay it still felt unpleasant I still didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I was wrong Orgots is the uh, he's like the, the combat one not the yes. magic one. Uh, it also has literally one of the worst pieces of flavour text I've ever read on a Warhammer product, if you'd like to hear it. Not to distract yeah. you too, too I much. would now, clearly. Uh, Lord of the Icehorn Peak Tribes and Master of the Pox Maggoths. Fine. Orgot's Demon Spew was born of an unholy union between a great unclean one and a human witch. Uh... Awful. Games Workshop. Delete this. <laughs> Horrible. All right. Well, we will try to blank out that flavour text from our minds. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think what happened yeah, then was, I think I won priority into turn three and I took it. And I took a punt and tried to get the Gargant battle tactic where you smash the enemy's faction terrain. But that requires you to roll a three plus and didn't roll a three plus. So I didn't manage to smash his tree, um, which was annoying both because I didn't get battle tactics and because it meant I he was still getting more summoning points um, and if I'd smashed a tree it might have meant he didn't get enough summoning points to be able to summon anything. At this point my notes get scarce. I think I did kill Orgots on this turn. Um, I'm pretty sure I charged the Gatebreaker into him but then I think on his turn he killed the Glockin into the Gatebreaker and killed it. So that kind of left us at the end of turn three. I was quite a bit ahead on points at this stage because while we'd been having a big fight in the middle of the board Gargants had, you know, naturally if Gargants won objectives they count for way more than anything else. Yeah. So I'd been outscoring him on objectives. But it was apparent at this point I was never going to kill the Glockin. He, I think the Glockin does have some built-in healing, so he'd healed him up with that and heroic recovery and things to the point when he was almost back on full health. And I only had one Mega Gargant left, which was my War Stomper, who had been being very ineffective against units of flies while everything else was going on and had sort of taken a fair few wounds from flies hitting him and disease and so forth. So it kind of became, can I eke out enough points to stay ahead while he rampages around and kills my stuff that's left? I had to be pretty careful about what I did, because if I went near the Glockin with my small Gargants, he would just be able to charge into the small Gargants and absolutely yeah. murder them. So it was kind of, he had the Glockin controlling the objective that was the Pulse, and I was sort of trying to play around that and stay far enough away that I wasn't just going to throw the Gargants away. 
so yeah, it was sort of one of those games where you spend quite a lot of time staring at the board trying to figure out how you can score a battle tactic and how you can still get your grand yeah. strategy and so forth. So I broadly had to abandon all the objectives around the pulse and just sort of try and grab points on the other side of the board so you can at least score a point for holding any one objective. I think I got, I think I was probably able to get a battle tactic on one of the turns. Maybe I did intimidate or something like that. And then I just ran out of battle tactics that I could do. He messed up one of his battle tactics. He had one where you had to have a mortal unit and a demon unit holding the same objective or something like that. And he got to a point when he couldn't achieve both that and his grand strategy, which required him to garrison a terrain piece with one or the other. So that was helpful. And I think it basically came down to a situation where it was we were very, very close. I needed to make a big run roll with one of my gargants on turn five to be able to get onto an objective and scrape another point or two. And I didn't get it, but I got my grand strategy and he didn't get his. So we tied on points, mm-hmm. but he got a minor win for having scored more battle tactics than me. Though I think for tournament purposes, it ended up counting as a tie, which was probably a bit uh, harsh on my opinion, because it yeah, shouldn't really bit... have been a minor win to him. But I think just the yeah. scoring system wasn't set up for that. I think they were just putting the victory points in and it counted that way. So I definitely got a bit lucky out of it. Yeah, it was a fun game. I think it was re- the Glockins countercharge thing was just absolutely huge. It was really dictating what I could do, and I was having to try and play around it a lot. It's very but, good. Yeah, my opponent knew his army pretty well. I think he made a few mistakes with battle tactics, but otherwise, you know, he was pretty good at knowing what he could afford to put his units into and where they should be and the sorts of things they should be doing and how to maximise disease and so on. And the Nurgle battle tactics felt really good. There always seemed to be something he could try and do. Whereas I definitely hit the Gargant problem of there are not. <laughs> it's really hard to score five battle tactics with Gargants. Yeah, definitely. The Nuggle ones are pretty good. I think they're one of the uh, better sets of in-book ones. I don't think they're they're painfully good like some are, but there's a nice few options in there. Yeah, they did. They weren't auto scores. Like you had to do stuff to score them, and sometimes mm. that stuff meant you were putting units out of position and things, which is probably a good space for battle tactics to be in. Love to roll the dice to see if I get a battle tactic. That's a classic. Yeah. There's so many Gargant runs that have rolled the dice to see if you get a battle tactic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the stomp on terrain is pretty painful for that. But there's also yeah. throw a model at a unit and kill something with your war stomper, which requires you to roll at minimum a 2+, plus followed by a 4+. plus. And uh, to have a war stomper. Yeah, well, there's one for each. There's one that... Oh, there's, uh, there's definitely one that requires you to have a Kraken Eater as well, because there's one about kicking an objective not in your territory into your territory, which needs you to have ah. a Kraken Eater and to kick the thing sufficiently far. There's, there's so. one about you have to do one of each special monstrous rampage as well, right? And they're all dice-based. That's. I mean, that also requires your opponent to have a monster, so it's dice-based and list-based, and no one's ever even going to try for that, I think. Oh, God. <laughs> you need all your Garg Megas to be in combat with the right things so yeah Mm. they're not great (laughs) but yeah that was a really fun first game so game two i played kelvin with slaves to darkness and this was a really good matchup for me he had i think he you know he said at the start this is not an optimized list it's a list he thought was fun um it was quite fun but i did look at it and think i feel like i'm probably going to win this game uh so i think he had (laughs) bellacore and eternus never fought against Turnus before, so that was fun. He had two units of ten Chaos Warriors, he had some Furies, he had a Gaunt Summoner, he had an Exalted Hero, he had a unit of three Varangard, and he had some Pink Horrors. 
and it was quite it was sort of quite themey. It was all like different marks of chaos and things. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, I know the it problem was a, a fun it. list. No chosen. Yeah, it was I mean he he knew Gargants really well. I think he had a regular opponent who played Gargants or something and he looked at me at the start and said, I not don't think I've got enough damage to kill Gargants and I thought <laughs> I think you might be right to be honest. It's <laughs> um, it's like a hard skill check, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean this game was did end up with a fairly comfortable win for me, so I won't go into loads of detail, but um I think I gave him first turn. He made a mess of Surround and Destroy, which turned out in the next game, I made a mess of Surround and Destroy. So uh, I did not learn from this experience. We've all done it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm forever making a mess of Surround and Destroy. Yeah. And then I think there wasn't a turn when Battle Tactic I could score, so I went for Lead into the Maelstrom and just hoped I ran, rolled big charges and didn't roll big charges. He used Bellicor's Dark Master ability on the Gatebreaker, so that means that you've got to roll a three plus to be able to do anything with the gatebreaker in every phase. And I think on this turn, he did absolutely nothing, but my other stuff moved forwards. The thing in his army that can really damage Gargans is the Vanguard, but he'd put them over on one of the flanks. So I should have said, we was playing spring the trap, which is a scenario that has three objectives across the middle of the board. So there's one in the middle and then one right out on each flank. Um, so the Vanguard were on one of the flanks and I ran a man crusher over to, stand on the objective where they were sort of so that either he would have to abandon that objective or he would have to waste a turn killing my man crusher with his vanguard which he they proceeded to do very effectively but it meant they were sort of out the way and then we started having a few fights in the middle so i think i went i think i took the turn for two even though that meant my gatebreaker was still affected by bellacore just because there was a lot of stuff i could get the other two megas into so the kraken eater went in and started killing the horrors and the War Stomper did quite a lot of work against some of the Chaos Warriors. And then I think he got a double turn into turn three and then just had one of those horrific turns where everything whiffs. So the Vanguard, having wiped out my Man Crusher, came across into the middle and charged into the War Stomper and then just did hardly any damage. And then the War Stomper had an incredibly good game and just murdered everything. I think the War Stomper, over the course of a few turns, killed the Vanguard two units of chaos warriors and bellacor possibly Ooh. or at least was you know killed everything else and was clearly about to kill bellacor so yeah, yeah he just that's pretty cleaned good. up that's a lot of damage and i'd wiped out all the horrors on the other side so at that point it was just very clear that i was going to win so we you know we just talked out the rest and figured out points so i mean it was just a really rough matchup for him you know he it, my list was just better and yeah he also had some pretty bad dice during the game so i don't think I did anything spectacularly of strategic interest. Yeah, I did get to throw a Chaos Warrior at Bellacor with the War Stomper, which was fun. That is my favourite Gargant ability. Feels like what Bellacor deserves. <laughs> there were quite a few Bellacors at the tournament. I was quite surprised. But my I opponent said so to me much. at one point, you know, people always overestimate what Bellacor will do. And I said, I've got Bellacor at home. I'm well aware that Bellacor... <laughs> Usually does very little and then gets murdered by an elf throwing a fish at him. In my experience, so. nice. <laughs> He's. Uh, I still hate him. <laughs> I really like the model. I really want him. It's to be a great good. model. Yeah. Superb. And actually, Gargant is one of his better matchups because if you take a Gargant out of the game for two turns, that's reasonable. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. So my final game was against Ed with Soulbright. Soulblight Gravelords. So he had a Veerkos list. He had mm. uh, some of the Veerkos heroes. We so he had Radikar the Beast. He had Belladama. He had Gorslav, I think. Yeah. 
He had a necromancer. He had a corpse cart. He had 60 zombies. He had 20 question mark grave guard. He had two units of 10 wolves. And he had, I've written Bloodborne, the little unit of three vampire things. Yeah. So, yeah, I had never played against big units of zombies before. So I was quite scared because it looked like they were going to have a lot of board control. But I didn't really have a good sense of what they were going to do damage-wise. It's not a lot until you start killing them. (laughs) Yeah. So the scenario was Ice Fields, which I think is the one where you take mortal wounds if you run or if you run on a charge roll. Um, It didn't end up doing a massive amount in the context of this game. Uh, We probably forgot about it a bit, but I don't think it would have made a dramatic amount of difference if we hadn't. So I went first, and I went first because I thought I needed to get board control before units of 60 zombies started standing on everything. So I didn't achieve a huge amount on my first turn. I messed up Surround and Destroy completely. This was just, oh, this was just me being an idiot. So the scenario is one where the territory extends beyond the deployment zone. So I kind of just thought I'll stick a man crusher on each edge and run them forward, but I just deployed really stupidly. So they need to make a decent run roll and obviously what you want to because man crushers are on oval bases you want to put them so they're sort of sideways on so that the back of the base has to move less far to get over the edge of the territory but i didn't do that because i'm was just not thinking about it properly so i put them facing forwards and then went actually they've got to run a really long way and it still would have been possible because my one of my battalions lets me issue the at the double command without spending a point and it doesn't count as issuing it. So I could have done that and then spent a point to issue it and they both gargants that needed to go a long way could have gone a long way. But in the process of deployment, I had knocked one of them off the table and stood him up again. And when I stood him up again, I didn't check that he was in the right place. So <laughs> broadly, in, despite being able to run the max distance, he still didn't make it into the territory. And at that point, I just went, well, I'm an idiot and I'm going to fail this battle tactic. So <laughs> so that was a disaster start. Um, but apart from that, turn one went fine. So I stood on objectives. I also was able to stand on quite a few of his, on both the grave sites that he'd set up outside his territory. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be really important for later because Gargans have really big bases. So I think the way grave sites work is you have to set up within 12 of the grave site, but outside of nine of an enemy. So if you have a yep. gargant with a big base standing on the gravesite, that doesn't leave a lot of it scope depends for that whose to turn it is. And then I think I killed the unit of the three Bloodborne because they were a bit out on their own, so I just charged the Krakenita into them and killed them. Yeah, they get a pre-game move, which probably you yes. don't use against gargants. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to give them a slingshot shot up the board, really, do <laughs> I think my opponent was fairly new to AOS, so I think he probably didn't have a huge amount of experience of practicing with the army so on his turn he went for magical dominance as his battle tactic and he also messed up his turn one battle tactic because i think he cast his first spell and i expected him to stop but then he went on and tried to cast a second spell and i unbound that one so he didn't get the tactic and then he moved stuff up so i think radicar and some wolves moved up on one of the flanks and killed a man crusher which i'd broadly expected the man crusher was standing in front of the Mega Gargan to sort of shield him, so I was quite well positioned to be able to get the Mega Gargan into them next. And then the zombies moved up the middle. The terrain was definitely on my side for this one. There was quite, a, there were some quite big ruins that were not a problem for Gargants because Gargants can move over terrain that is less than four inches high. 
uh, but were a bit constraining for a unit of 60 zombies, so they had to sort of move in a bit of an L shape, which slowed them down a bit. Then I think if I'd got priority into turn two, I could have done a ton of damage because I think there was a way I could have moved a Kraken Eater over one of the terrain pieces and charged into Belladama and the other heroes behind the line. But he got priority. So what happened? I think he charged the Wolves and Radicar into my War Stomper. Uh, and he'd chosen a battle tactic that need a summon- needed a summonable unit to die. So I think he was hoping the Wolves would die, but obviously because I knew that he needed them to die. I ignored the wolves and hit Radicar instead. So my Gargan did take some damage, but I think Radicar was close to being dead at the end of the turn. And then the zombies charged into the Kraken Eater in the centre. They had Hoarfrost on them, so they were hitting on twos, but they ended up being just out of range of the corpse cart, and I think the corpse cart is what makes them do mortal wounds yeah, on it is, sixes. Yeah. So they weren't doing mortal wounds. So they did a reasonable amount of damage, but obviously the Gargan has 35 wounds, so you know he wasn't in any danger of dying. He was all right, and he killed a fair amount of zombies. He didn't bring anything up from the grave, which I think was probably a mistake. I think he'd have struggled to bring them up in particularly great places, but I think just getting more stuff on the board for board control and being able to mean that I couldn't just ignore bits of the board would probably so be Did he deploy stuff plan. in the grave? Yes. Uh, okay. Right. He deployed his grave. Sorry, I should have said this. He deployed the grave guard was the key thing in the grave. So mm. I think he was hoping that they'd be able to come up somewhere and threaten my big beggars. block of stuff. But because I was standing on the grave sites, there wasn't really scope for him to do that. Yeah. He'd have had to bring them up behind the zombies. Eesh. And then on my turn, I just committed and chucked everything in. I think I did lead into the maelstrom again. I did one very silly thing that I got away with. He had cast. I'm going to say it's called Soul Pike on my yeah. Gatebreaker, which is a spell where if you charge, you take, I think you roll a dice for number of dice equal to the charge roll. And a... you, you do the ogre charge, but to yourself. Yeah. 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 Uh, my yeah. Gatebreaker rolled a 12 to charge, uh, and I <laughs> tempted fate and re-rolled it. And if I'd rolled a double one, I would have been quite sad. But I think I rolled like a five and went, okay, that's that's much better. Okay, um, I shouldn't have done that. That was a really stupid thing to do. Like On average, it's going to take six wounds. I'll probably save one family of destiny. That is fine. So that was just a silly decision. But anyway, I got away with it. And I had a really good turn. I think I killed Radikar. at this. By now, I had two Megas fighting the zombies. Um, so they killed a bunch of them. And then Mega Gargants turn off Inspiring Presence near them. So he wasn't able to save the zombies from battle shock so then the rest of them ran away because i'd killed like 20 something zombies at this point Horrid. Mm-hmm. and the zombies had done did a reasonable amount of damage back but it was split across two megas and a man crusher or something like that so nothing died so yeah at this point it was looking quite good for me and then i think i think i got priority for the next turn and moved towards where his heroes were and then he brought the zombies He's back. You can, you know, once you write the zombies, yeah. you can bring a half-sized unit back. So he brought them up in between me and the heroes, but I just charged into them again and wiped them again um, because, again, two mega gargants. You know, when they're on the charge, they do impact hits. They can pick stuff up and stuff them in their net. They can just punch them. They had quite a lot of different ways they were chucking out damage into these zombies. And then on his turn, I think they were. That was then on his turn three. He had to bring the stuff up from the grave or it was not going to be able to, or it would just have counted as dead. And there just still weren't good places for this to happen. So he ended up bringing the grave guard up right at the back and they didn't have a charge. 
and then after that I just started retreating stuff back like there was no need for me to charge in yeah. and try and fight Graveguard I was well ahead on points I had board control so I just sort of let them walk slowly towards me and stood on objectives I think I still had some battle tactics I could score so it ended up being quite a comfortable win so yeah I was pleased with that because I had been a little bit scared of the list at the start and I think I, mean, I think he definitely made some mistakes because I don't think he was super practiced mm-hmm. with the army but I think I played it quite well in terms of not getting carried away, getting board control, but then putting stuff in when I should have done. Sounds like it, for sure. Yeah. Also knowing just to sort of stand back at the end and not give away points and battle tactics unnecessarily. Yeah. I I don't know, I'm probably over-scared of Graveguard because I've seen them absolutely murder things before, but if I'd I'd had the chance to chuck a Gargan into them and not being into anything else, I would probably be okay, but it just didn't seem worth picking a fight i didn't need to pick they're super squishy yeah. so if you got a gargan in that smash them up yeah. yeah yeah they might if they got really lucky kill one gargan but if you got two gargants into them that unit's just gone right so yeah but i think my gargants had all taken you know they were all on about half health at this point because they'd been fighting zombies or radicar or whatever sure. so i didn't have sort of full health gargants so i could just be chucking around yeah, it was a fun game. Um, and I played three really different armies, which is always nice at these things. So that meant I finished 2-1. But I think because the first game had counted as a tie for scoring purposes, I ended up coming fourth, which was definitely overinflated. Ooh. But nice. still, I'll take it. Yeah. But yeah, all my opponents were nice. I had three fun games. Um, apart from the Slaves of Darkness one, played against lists I wasn't super experienced at playing against. So that was good. good to you know get practice. Yeah, that's nice. New things. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, well, I think they're hoping to run some more events next year, and I'll definitely look to go to those. I nearly came down to this one. I nearly bought a ticket when you first bought the ticket. And then I nearly bought a ticket when it had a drop like three days before the event. So uh, mm. I might. It sounds like it went really well, so I might try and come to the next one. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. Thanks for that. Um, I assume you were consulting notes because I can barely remember like what I had for lunch today. <laughs> Yes. So it's good I... to get like a quality tournament report. Yes, it was it's what, about two weeks ago now, so if I had not made notes, I would have remembered very little. This is fair. Yeah. Um, oh, what else are we doing? You guys have both been sort of trying out new armies recently. Maybe calling OBR a new army for you isn't completely fair, Laura, but you've not played with them with this battle tome. So we... yeah. We thought we'd maybe do a little vibe check on how you're getting on with that. So, um, Rich, how are, you, how are you getting on with sort of mixed Oryx, isn't it? It's Big War slash Iron Jaws, depending on how you're feeling that, that day. Yeah, um, the practice is still in its infancy, let's say. But um, I feel like I'm wrestling with myself a bit. I'm not having like a... It's not, it's not time for the traditional annual Brotherhood-related breakdown, but... Um, I feel like, you know, having expressed that we as a team would maybe like to not get the wooden spoon again. And I, mm. as a person, would like to be better at the game, both in, like, playing the game, but also, like, in being willing to not just take, like, the worst possible army. <laughs> uh, I've uh, I've been feeling sort of compelled to try Big War, uh, because mm. they, at the sort of most recent tournament reports like 
you see the occasional big wire like on the top tables or winning an event and uh, by comparison, pure Iron Jaws is very low down mm. most ranking most rankings. So I've been trying to play Big War in a few different games. I sort of played one game with quite a net listy, like optimized list, and the game went okay. Um, but it was my first time playing with them. This is the game versus Chris, so mm-hmm. it just took a long time. And I played a much less optimized game with Luke. I've sort of done a couple of other bits here and there, and I think I am sort of reaching the conclusion that I just don't like the level of thinking involved with the Big Wild stuff. They've mm. got so much going for them in that the buffs you get off of the wire energy progressing are really good. Like, everything getting plus one to hit and plus one to wound is amazing. The Wurgog Prophet has like two different really reliable ways of putting stupid number of mortal wounds on units, which is nice. Yeah. I think I used his spell. I didn't the game I played with him, I didn't actually get to use his mask because he got die. He got died. He died. <laughs> but I did cast his war scroll spell onto a unit of twenty fusiliers and killed something like fourteen of them. So <laughs> that's good. That's not bad. Having him, Gobsprack, and the uh, Weird Knob Shaman together lets you interact kind of pretty well with the various Antor-themed yeah. battle tactics and enhancements and spells and things. So I think the arguments for Big War are quite strong, but there is a, a counter-argument in my brain sort of saying if you don't have a very good time playing them, and it hurts your head, then you're probably better off just trying, like, getting, like, 20 practice games with Iron Jaws yeah. and being good at that by comparison. Like, Not everyone clicks with every army or playstyle, right? And that actually is huge. Uh, that's more important than running, like, a netlist that's done well. Yeah, uh, for that's, sure. That's my feeling. I really like the way Iron Jaws play and the way the models interact. I also really like the way Cruel Boys play. Um, I'm not going to pivot to Cool Boys for the event, I don't think. But, um, you know, I have some Cool Boys and I've played with them and I like the way they play. But when you... Well, it's like... I think part of my problem with it is Big War is, is not really a mixed list. It's like an Iron Jaws list with some Cool Boys heroes, maybe yep. a screen of Hobgrots and one Bone Splitters hero. Uh, and it, what you get in exchange is like a load of admin because suddenly everything you've got like five different things happening at the start of the hero phase during the hero phase at the end of the hero phase at the start of the next phase um and i think what i found so far obviously this would improve with practice but is that i'm not remembering things consistently and it's stressing me out and then i'm like not playing it optimally and that's stressing me out more so i think i am currently building towards pure iron jaws that also means it's more likely that i can take a milk like at least one more crusher. I think yeah. only one. I don't think more than one is sensible. But uh, yeah. And I think in a team environment, which is primarily what I'm building to at the moment, I am going to take them to a one day. But I think in a team environment, you can use the drafting step to mitigate some of the problems that you would have taking, potentially taking Iron Jaws to a kind of like all comers type event. So yeah, that's that's like my temperature check at the moment is definitely sticking with oryx it's probably iron jaws i think also yeah. just like the models more for the most part so you think you'll practice with big raw anymore or just commit to iron jaws uh, 
Uh, I mean, I feel like I should. Yeah, but I also, you know, I think it's probably optimistic for me to say that I will play 20 games between now and Brotherhood. So however many I do play, I would probably prefer to get. to be with Angels, yeah. Like, practice with the list I will play. I mean, I'm going to that one-day event, so, you know, that's three games in a day right there. So, and, you know, maybe that'll make me cry, but... Yeah, I think I think also, you know, like the, the slightly more selfish aspect of it is that I think Iron Jaws as an army visually are much more consistent if it's just an Iron Jaws army rather than an Iron Jaws army and Gobsprack. Then, you know, like that's a big part of the hobby for me is making a nice army and putting it out for people to hopefully look at and enjoy. So, uh, yeah, I think that that probably guides me down that path as well. Yeah, that all sounds like fair enough, really, isn't it? I think, like I said, you you want to play with an army you enjoy first and foremost, and that makes you play better as well. I think you will have Definitely, better results yeah. playing with an army you enjoy the playstyle of um, than that listing something that you don't really get or you don't want to be pushing around, or you're going to forget the bits that make it good. That's true. <laughs> It's obvious, but I'm I'm definitely guilty of just like netlisting shit and then piling it, it really badly. Everyone, everyone's done it here and there, right? There's a reason that the names at the top of tournaments consistently are people's names and not army names, right? Like, yeah. So, and let's hope that that isn't also true about the bottom of the tables. <laughs> but imagine if there was an army called like Steve. <laughs> Just, just Steve, Steve yeah. the army, battle tome Steve, veering a little bit too far into hashtag random. I think. <laughs> How about you, Laura? How is uh, Bone Splitter vibe check going? Not Bone Splitter, Bone Reaper. Say. That would be one yeah. hell of a pivot. Please do not yeah. do this. I'll see you at Bone Splitters. <laughs> There's no possible way I could paint a Bone Splitter army in time. You're safe. Um, yeah. So I mean, like we said. Bone Reapers aren't a new army for me. I've played them quite a lot in 2022, uh, but that was before their current book. Um, but I they're not my favourite army. Like you know, there were I if I was picking the thing I wanted to play most at the moment, it would be Gargants or Caradron Overlords for sure. But Bone Reapers are quite good. My Bone Reapers are painted as Null Myriad, and Null Myriad Bone Reapers are currently quite good. And it seems daft not to play an army that I own for a bit while it is quite good. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yes. so broadly I'm in the space of kind of, can I get reasonably good with new... Oh, they're not new anymore. You know, current book Bone Reapers before Brotherhood so that I'm better off taking them than I would be taking Gargants, I guess. Um, so the things that sort of change the most in the current book, like broadly what the units do stayed pretty much the same. So that's fine. You know, I have a pretty good idea of what the different units in my army are there for. The thing that changed was all around command abilities. So OBR used to have a specific set of OBR command abilities and they couldn't use the standard command abilities. Now they can use the standard command abilities, but they also get a increased range of Bone Reaper-specific command abilities they can use, and they get an absolute ton of extra command points. So the number of extra points you get reduces as your units die, but at the start of the game, 
you are usually looking at eight or nine command points for the first battle round. So the sort of the way to learn how to play the army well is to make sure you are using those points optimally and to have a really good grasp of what you can do and what you want to do in any specific situation. And I definitely don't think I've mastered that after three whole games <laughs> with a netlisted army. Um, but I kind of feel I got to the point when I know the key ones that you're going to be doing all mm-hmm. the time. And what I need to do now is get the practice so that I remember that the more situational ones exist and I know you know, when situations come up when you can use them, I'm going to... I will do it um at the moment i'm often not spending all of my command points on the first few battle rounds and that probably means i'm missing opportunities to sort of make marginal gains and you know move a unit an extra three inches here and there and things like that so i think i need to focus a bit more on that side of it the other thing i've been really getting my head around is how to use catacross so catacross is the one new unit that i didn't you know i said i'd painted him in the last month so when i was running the army last year i didn't have catacross now i do uh he does an absolute ton of stuff um but that means you've got to use him right so just sort of things like making sure he doesn't get tagged in combat with something rubbish so that he can have his aura up uh is important and something that i haven't quite got my head around yet and i then you know as well as having a lot of buffs and debuffs he is also a reasonably hard-hitting hero so it's kind of what is the point when you want him standing behind your army doing all the buffs and the healing and what's the point when you want to commit him to actually do things um i don't think i have quite got my head around yet so that's the other thing i need to practice with more but yeah i mean i think at this point i would definitely see myself taking obr to brotherhood i think i can get you know i I definitely want to play more practice games but i think i can get to a point when i can be competent with them um and it probably is a good army to have as part of the team Nice. Yeah, I think you've gotten yeah. obviously better even than those three games from like the first one we played. Oh, yeah, to the, for sure. <laughs> uh, the last one that's what yeah. you played, that was. You've improved a lot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I need to play more different armies with them because it's definitely quite a different experience if you're up against a shooting army than if you're against an army that wants to run in and have a big fight with you in the middle. But I'm getting better at remembering all the stuff and, you know, knowing what is a sensible deployment and that sort of stuff, for sure. Nice. Yeah. That's good. There we go. Vibe checks. We'll see how those are going next month. And the month after that, we'll get a tournament report. Yeah. Yeah. The vibes are okay. The specific OBR lists, because at the moment I'm going with a a completely netlisted one that has a big block of 30 Mortec Guard. And I think I'm a little bit undecided as to whether I want to stick with that or run a slightly smaller unit of Mortec Guard and add more other stuff in. But I think that's just a case of play it a bit more and see how it does yeah. I'm running a Goffer's Harvester and so far in all of the games I've played it has died before it has got into any kind of combat like the best it has done is bring back a few more tech guard. I think people have learned to target it at this point Yeah, but there's also kind of a thing of if it's there and people are targeting they're not targeting something else so yeah, maybe that's okay totally. and you just sort of take it knowing it will die early but then yeah. your other stuff is still okay but maybe at some point I'll try a list without it and see what difference. It is quite hitty if you're stupid enough to like oh, not yeah. kill it, right? Yeah, it's great. And there's a battle tactic it can score if it's still around as well. So it's absolutely the right thing to do to kill it early. And it's like the only thing in the army that can smash up terrain if that matters. Yes. Which Ooh, comes so up more surprisingly good. Yeah, it's I'm stuff. incapable of rolling three pluses to smash up terrain. So. Yeah. <laughs> but also it's your only source of like monstrous rampages and 
Jones Arcane, yeah. I guess. But yeah, yeah, I am kind of occasionally I look at Arcane and I think because mm, he's got a lot of boost to unbinds, which are really good at the moment because you want to stop people scoring yeah. magical dominance. But he just I'd have to figure out what I would have to drop from the list to put him in, and I think Catacross yeah. and Arcane gives you too much stuff you don't want in a fight in a fight heavy army. I, th- I think Alice from Goonhammer runs Catacross and Arcane, and somehow oh, gets away with it. Uh, that army list looks so small to me, though. I I yeah. can play with that few units. Yeah, you can bring uh, an awful lot of stuff back, but once you get a unit wiped, it's That's gone. It. So yeah. you really need to make sure that your stuff doesn't get wiped. And yeah, also the yeah. way OBR work now, you get more command points the more units you've got. So if you have too few units, you kind of get to the point when you're not getting that many more command points. <laughs> so maybe I'll try mm. a game with it at some point because I do I do like the idea of having plus two to unbind. That seems very good. Yeah. I think Arkan is worth his points, like broadly in the army, but like, yeah, whenever I we I know maybe more old book, but whenever we've played games and you've had an Arkan, like it's not just like oh he's a three hundred point or whatever wizard, but but he's really like he always dies. Like he's got a lot of stuff to him. Yeah, but, no, uh... he's, he's you're right. I think he's fine for his points. He's a really good caster. He's fast and not much in OBR is fast, so that can be quite helpful. And yeah, he's 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 not great in combat, but he shouldn't be. And he you know he can kill chaff. He's not utterly terrible. So I think he's his fine. Horse is yeah, it's just putting him into a list that also has Catacross in. I'm I'm just worried about how few points yeah. that leaves you for other things. You have to drop quite a lot. Because you kind of want a lot of the small heroes too, right? So I think I'd have to drop one of the small heroes if I put yeah, Arkham. Yeah, 100% Realistically. Have to, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll try it once. Yeah, drop the guy who brings them back because... Yeah, because Arkham can bring them back. Arkham does that. Yeah. I was sort of looking, can you drop that guy and turn Mortek and fit Arkin in? And the answer is no. <laughs> Very much no. Yeah. You have to drop more yeah. than that. That would feel like a good trade, I think. But... Yeah, no, yeah, it's more like really. drop. You'd have to drop a small hero and three stalkers, which feels like a more difficult trade. Yeah, because the stalkers are a lot of what's doing the damage, and you do yeah. need to actually kill things as well as just survive. The other thing I need to do is play real-life games with the army, because so far yeah. I've been playing on Tabletop Simulator, and I really need to get the practice of, can I play quickly with a unit of 30 Mortec Guard? So yeah, some of those uh, get that practice. mini mag trays, not sponsored. Yeah, I think I've got... Well, I definitely do have movement trays. I need to figure out how many and whether they're in the right shape and stuff like that, but... Yeah, it's just you just need to get the practice on the table of doing it quickly and making sure that I will get through games in time. Yeah, it is a practice thing because you don't have to slow play with big units like that. It's like it doesn't have to take a long time as long as you just know what you're doing in advance and you practice the movement. Look, the yeah. guy at um, Blackout I played who was running a million zombies played them pretty quickly actually. Just slide them forwards. Yeah, push them all up. Cool. Okay. Finish off the episode. We've got some questions, some leftover questions from last time, and one new question, I think. Yep. Um, so, going to answer some questions. Uh, let's start with the, the new one, because I think it's nice. This is from Squiz. Squiz. Very internet handle name. Sorry. <laughs> question is uh, Finding people that you feel comfortable being around seems to be important for enjoying miniature gaming as a hobby. How did you end up with the 
Crate and Crowbar slash Role Models community, and was it the first miniature gaming-related community you've joined? I kind of assume that is not the case. From Squiz. I think we'll add the important context that we're not going to go through the incredible lineage of how we know each other, but Role Models is the tabletop gaming online Discord community that we know each other through. Uh, so that's where that reference comes from. Any Any thoughts from anyone? Is anyone think... in a super toxic gaming community before? <laughs> I don't think my way into joining a community is particularly helpful to anyone, so I can get it out of the way. Because um, the old Crate and Crowbar role models community was based around two people I was just IRL friends with. So I, I joined that because that's where they hung out. <laughs> uh, and it happened to be yeah. a nice place to game. And then more, more recently I've been spending time on the... Uh, Guggenheimer community and I do that because I work for them so <laughs> it's sort of um, no other reason yeah no they're nice Lamentable. Um, given you have to pay to join that community it wasn't until um, they paid me back that I joined <laughs> oh I wonder if I'm still paying them <laughs> so I suspect that the way I got I joined the community was probably not dissimilar to yours Rich but I got I used to listen to the Miniatures Monthly podcast, which I guess is a sort of precursor to this one in a long, complicated way, which was a podcast done by the Crate and Crowbar community about miniatures. And then they did a meetup of listeners to that pod, which I went to, and that is where I met, I think, both of you for the first time and a number of other people from the community. So after that, I switched from being a lurker on our discord site to an active poster on our discord site and it all went from there really it probably was the first well it was i think at similar sort of times i got i met people from role models and i also got involved in the london warhammer underworlds gaming community which i am still a part of and have also met some nice people through nice yeah i probably should join the bristol scene but um I just haven't, because that would involve interacting with people uh, who are new. <laughs> I'd rather talk to and, them one way through the internet. And I rather suspect that um, that's maybe the issue the person asking the question has. And I, I can offer no sucker there, as I will equally be yeah. quite happy trundling along how I am. I, I, I would... You're right, Laura, in that my intro to the community that we find ourselves in now is is to to a T, like exactly the same as yours. Um, The slight, I guess, is it the first gaming-related community I've joined? In terms of like online communities, yes. I got back into Wargaming in my mid-twenties through X-Wing. I think true of quite a few people around our kind of ages. That eventually took me to a local store where I lived at the time for just kind of games nights to actually play some of this game I'd got into because none of my IRL friends wanted to really and through that I had some sort of like demo games of other things kind of rediscovered Warhammer various other bits Uh, and some of those people I'm still friends with I think local store communities like that are really good I'd say in the years since, that local store now sort of has things like a Discord server and a Facebook group that I'm only more passingly a member of. And so, yeah, Role Models is like the the online community that I'm most active in and was kind of the first one of those. But um, 
yeah, there's lots of nice ones out there. In terms of the premise of the question, I definitely agree that I think finding people that you're comfortable being around or finding a way to be comfortable around people with a shared interest is is key to enjoying the certainly the gaming side of miniature gaming. The only stage advice I can give is like if you want to do it and you're scared, just do it and be scared. Really? Like again, what from a position of most mostly privileged, like you're unlikely to have a very bad time. I think that line obviously trends down a little bit if you are like not from a safe majority, but really like in a lot of senses wargaming is full of lots of, you know, freaks and geeks or outcasts or <laughs> I don't want to say weirdos because maybe it seems mean, but you know, we know lots and of weirdos. In the edit, I'll overlay Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Gaming is more mainstream than it's ever been, but you are fundamentally still interacting with a nerd community by taking part in it. I think there is a bit of a perception of like. Lots of people maybe don't have the most positive perception of like the pickup game crowd at their local store. And I think it gets a little bit conflated into almost a sort of like nerds versus jocks type thing. And it's very important to remember that those people are still, for the most part, like probably quite nerdy because they're playing Warhammer at Warhammer Shop. I don't know if I'm going anywhere with this. I might just be basically being rude to everyone I know. It's very important to remember you're not in high school anymore. It's okay. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. It, you might not be comfortable with the idea of going to a shop and playing some games. The only way you're going to find a group of people to play with, specifically play in person with, probably is to do it and be uncomfortable and find the right people that you then are comfortable with, I think. I know you didn't necessarily send this question to us asking for advice, but hey, you've got it now. So, <laughs> Age of Sigmar Agony Arns, go. Yeah. Sort of said a load of words there for about five minutes, and some of them maybe made sense, but no, I think that was really sensible. Like, yeah, any kind of social—I don't know, just, just not necessarily the case for everyone, but certainly for me, any kind of social interaction with people I don't know is inherently quite a nerve-wracking thing at first. Yeah, and I think you're right that sometimes you've just got to do it, and you've got to say, "I'm going to go to this event. I'm going to go along and see what these people are like." And sometimes that works out really well and you meet people and you vibe with them and they become friends, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you go to a tournament and you think, well, that was fine, but <laughs> nothing, you know, I'm not going to stay friends with these again. people forever. But that is also okay, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. For me, definitely getting over that, like going to my first event hurdle, which is sort of different because it's not about community so much, is going with a friend's a guy I already knew, not from any gaming community, just like an actual person I knew before Warhammer. We got into Warhammer, then we went to an event together. And then like from there, that gives you the confidence to start going to stuff by yourself because you're like, oh, this is actually fine. Yeah. Like, it's a fine thing to do. It's you're going to a thing with a bunch of people who you know you have a shared interest in something with already. You'll, you will be able to get through having to interact with this person for two and a half hours because you are doing a thing with them where you have to talk to them. It sort of I think it's very easy. In theory. Yeah. In theory, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always work out. 
but like 99% of the time it, it does work out like that. Unless they're like monster hungover. God, I've had a few games like <laughs> <laughs> doubles, uh, doubles events. Um, really good if you do have like one local Warhammer friend or or mm. distant Warhammer friend that you can convince to go to the same event as you. Uh, going to a doubles event is great because barring that some places that just means there's twice as many people in the hall as normal. In the like moment to moment game interaction, the the social load is halved basically, and you can you know you don't always have to worry about being fully focused on the game because you've got a gaming partner and likewise on the other side of the table, so it's sort of almost easier to have a nice social time as well. And you've always got someone that you know if you need five minutes, you can just sort of push them to the front and be like, "Can you just be in charge for a little while?" <laughs> had some really good fun at doubles events even yeah and it's not like that was my in and now i don't do them anymore i still try and go to them when i can because they're really good i think we've probably given that enough thought but yeah it is probably the biggest barrier to people i think getting more out of the hobby than they currently do so yeah do play it. the game if you if don't... you go to some events off the back of that let us know how it goes don't just talk about the game play the game make yeah. you talk about the game better <laughs> yeah <laughs> next question from aforementioned Zach aka Bear what are your guys thoughts on the battle plan where you can start the game in melee <laughs> follow up why are people that avoid it cowards <laughs> no reward without risk is that what it's called yes yeah. my default thinking was that this was just a mistake in the battle pack Yeah, but that that naming of the mission actually make, makes me think it is intentional. Yeah. So I played it for the first time last week. Well, I think it's fine because yeah. you don't have to start the game in combat. All right, you can just set your army up out of three inches of the opponent. And in fact, that was what happened. I was playing with my very melee-focused combat army against a shooting army. So I put my army up right at the front and my opponent went, don't think I will start the game in combat. Thanks. So I think, I, yeah, I think, you know, yeah. it catches people out if they're not aware of the fact that you can set up in combat. But I think it's broadly fine that it exists. And I think, you know, people should know their army well enough to know whether it's sensible for them to start in combat or not and go from there. But, you know, yeah. I don't particularly see a reason why tournaments should avoid it. it. Apart from that gimmick, it's a fairly straightforward battle plan and it is fine. Yeah, this. Having a scenario where armies start really close together seems fine, but back to me, it's quite a nice idea. They've never really done it before. There's been ones where you've been like twelve inches apart, maybe. There's definitely yeah. ones where you're within like easy charge for distance. Yeah. yeah, but but there was one in the last GHB when on each flank you were sort of eleven apart or something, mm. wasn't there? And then you were closer yeah. together in the middle. And also because because no reward without risk, it's not a conventional deployment. It's um corner it's diagonal corners so you only very limited parts of your army are actually ever really in that close contact with each other and even if you forward deploy most of your army the bits on the edges are naturally just going to be quite far far away from your opponent so yeah there is in fact some risk to deploying all at the front <laughs> you'd have thought and see why for a pickup game with pre-established armies you might roll it and think actually let's do a different one but that's mm. i mean in different circumstances that's true of probably every scenario in that battle pack so yeah i think it's fine my thoughts on it are use all of what is available to you to do what is right for your army and if that is deploying your army in like an l along the very back edges of the board 
then you know that's valid. Yeah, you will take that L. <laughs> take that. Just good advice. Nick says, "What is a piece of recurrent Age of Sigma discourse that you would like to put into the bin forever?" Are we you all thinking what? of the same one? Yeah, it's been eight years. Shut the fuck up about the priority role. I can give a shit what you think about the priority role. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was my answer. <laughs> We've reliably proved that the double turn does not automatically make you win or lose by this yeah. point, I think. And also, perhaps, going back to the system that in other games by the same manufacturer just caused like a, a 10% boost to your win chance if you went first. <laughs> <laughs> might also not be best. Yeah. Turns out that the game's designed around it and it basically it's it works. So Yeah. yeah. Believe it or not, not designed by interns. Is there anything else? Any honourable mentions? That I think the double turn is bad in inverted commas are Yeah. The you occasionally see some grog pop up saying AOS has bad law. Uh, whatever. Um they're intensely incorrect it is the best law GW puts out but you know but what about the heraldry and what about the heraldry Matthew, what about the heraldry I, I think all of the bad discourse is essentially seems largely to be fueled by ex Warhammer Fantasy Battle players that never got over it and also maybe never played Warhammer Fantasy Battle in the first place either <laughs> so. yeah yeah, I talked about Fantasy Battle on the internet yeah. and now talk about why it's bad it's gone on the internet. Yeah. I was chatting to someone about this the the other day and both of us are sort of reasonably good friends with our respective local GW managers and they still get like at least once a week new new person that they've kind of never seen before come into the shop, the Warhammer branded shop, to be like, Age of Sigma's bad, isn't it? <laughs> so... <laughs> fantasy like it's going to go away because the old world's coming back because aos has failed it's the the new one yeah so oh dear there's just weirdos everywhere that that guy's gonna have a really bad time in like two to three years mm. <laughs> <laughs> well when, when the old world is destroyed and meshless games age of sigma <laughs> yes end times two oh, so no. we really mean it this is uh, Barkeon. He's from Forgeworld and it costs £400. I thought you said Barkeon. I imagined like a dog with a big oh, sword. Oh, I said that, but I was just thinking okay. like Barkeon, but it begins with B. Okay. Because he's the second one. Okay. But yeah. Archeon, but he's a blood. Dragon is a dog. I can't think of any others really. Yeah. There was, I mean, this is this is a very good question right now because... There's recently been a review of the new Realms of Ruin AOS-themed strategy game on the PC well, and other consoles, I think. That's just come out, or just about to come out, and uh, a fairly major publication ran a review uh, by a freelancer who seems like just really hates Age of Sigma. I didn't learn much about the game from that review, but I certainly <laughs> learned a lot about how Warhammer Fantasy is good lore and Age of Sigma is bad lore. Uh, and, and and Age of Sigmar tables are too big and don't have enough terrain on them. Very useful video game review stuff. I'd say that coming from someone who likes Warhammer Fantasy Battle is the funniest thing I've ever read. Um, <laughs> no. I've got four houses of one wood and I've pushed them all to the sides. Unless I'm a dwarf player, in which case I've miraculously managed to put a hill in my deployment zone. 
I think that's uh, the uh, yeah. that's the usual one, right? Yeah. Um, that was obviously an extremely amusing day for discourse. Very not mad. Finally, we have a string of quick fire questions from Joe. Yeah, six or I seven of these. We should put as much effort into these answers as he put into the questions. So I'm going to read the question. Each of you is going to give me an answer as close to one word as possible, and then I'll give my answer, and then we'll move on to the next question. Okay. I w- I'll just highlight, my answer is also going to be as close to one word as possible. That's not me just carving out a niche for myself. <laughs> okay. Number one, how do you feel about Armies of Renown? Yeah. Unnecessary. Bad. Yeah. If you could create one Age of Sigma spin-off game, what would it be? Shadow of the Colossus. Age of Sigma, Shadow of the Colossus. I feel like Underworlds already exists. It's great. Play it. <laughs> the two good ones already exist. Total War, but Age of Sigma on the computer. That's my answer. I don't think there's another compelling miniatures thing to do with it. No one say God Beasts. No one cares. <laughs> uh, do you like the elf-dwarf rivalry from Warhammer Fantasy Battle in Age of Sigma, or would you bin it? Bin it. Bin elves. Oh. <laughs> Casting vote. I didn't say bin Dwarlin. I was very kind, even though it's what I want with my whole being. I think it's fine in principle, except that both dwarves and elves have now like quite divergent personalities in terms of the factions, especially when talking miniature ranges. And whenever this like rears its head in fiction, it's always from like like an Ironworld dwarf in a city of Sigmar. It's not like the Fire Slayers hate the Lumineth. So yeah. I think the racial hatred is not capitalized on enough if they're gonna do it. Yeah. I don't want it to exist in Age of Sigma lore, but I want it to continue in the Age of Sigma player base. <laughs> yeah, I think that is primarily where it exists. Right? Okay, I, I mean, I was going to say don't make it your personality, but go off, Queen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Yeah, while we're on that, don't make orcs your personality and shout war an event. No one wants to hear it, especially on day two when they're hungover or very tired. Do make Skaven your personality and cheat. (laughs) (laughs) Destroy the moon. Good Trek or not Trek? That is incredibly tortured sentence construction. Got Trek or not Trek? I'm going to rephrase. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say I'm a Deep Space Nine guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I like Good Trek. Yeah, Good Trek seems cool. Uh, I haven't consumed any of the AOS media. Bang your model though. Really cool model. Do you want to buy some hex wraiths? Trick question, I already bought hex wraiths off of Joe. <laughs> so <laughs> Or, you know, they're also black knights, so does anyone else want to buy some hex wraiths? No. I'm gonna guess no. No. <laughs> no. Night wants the army I look at that I own I feel the most sadness about now that I've sold my oh, angels. Same. Yeah. They live on they live on the shelf in a different room now, my night haunt. Just not gonna think about them for a while. And then it might paint a gash. What tournament are you most looking forward to for twenty twenty four? I expect we've all got the same answer. Yeah. Yeah. The big Bristol brawl now, uh, Brotherhood. <laughs> brotherhood at the moment. I'm hoping to do lots of other things as well. 
Um, I want to do more singles things. I might not have the most tournament heavy 2024, sadly, but um, yeah, definitely that. Yeah, Brotherhood for me as well. I am glad it specified tournament and not event more generally, because that would have been a harder question. Well, yeah, um, we didn't touch it on it earlier, but the narrative thing we went to is becoming a three-day residential event with accommodation included next year. Jesus Christ. For a pretty good price. And I think, judging judging by when tickets went on sale, they got deposits for like a lot more than they had initially allocated. Uh, so they're now suddenly having to work out if they can expand the event by as much as they uh, need to, or whether they all have to limit people. I would do more advertising for them, but seeing as they're already super oversubscribed on tickets, uh, what's the point? <laughs> do you want Age of Sigmar 4 to be a minor upgrade, keeping all the battle tomes intact, or do you want Index Hammer? Index Hammer. I don't want Index Hammer at all. It's the furthest from what I could want. I want them to feel like if they need it to be Index Hammer to make other changes to the main game, that they could. But I don't really think they need to. No. I think yeah. the core framework works pretty well, and it's things like the structure of match play with battle tactics and things, and a few little things like that. Like fighting in ranks, piling in weapon ranges, yeah. stuff like that. I broadly think War Scrolls are fine but I would like them to strip out all the stuff like Faction Battle Tactics and Grand Strategies, and I'm not convinced that happens if we don't get Index Hammer, I think is where I'm coming from. Mm. I can imagine that it's in the book, so we have to let people use it type vibe. And the Index is very bland and boring when they've done them before, particularly interesting. And I also don't feel that when they've done this in 40k they've done it a couple of t- times in the last few 40k editions right um it's gone back to indexes it's because they've had to like burn the game to the ground because the foundations <laughs> were fucked and that's yeah i feel like aos3 is only really coming into its real stride as a as an addition now so it seems foolish that you would throw that all out in a major way yeah that's fair i won't be sad if they don't like i think you know i, I really like the game in current form but i i think i would probably like to see bigger changes to aos4 than there were between aos2 and aos3 i just feel like it can't get any more complicated so i need them to strip some stuff out and i think index hammer helps with simplifying it i think so much of the personality of those battle tomes is in like the page of battle traits and stuff that if that becomes like a set of index cards for a while yeah, I agree. I worry about the flavour a little bit, but... Because that's sort of a return to AOS 1, which I enjoyed AOS 1, but I don't think most people did. I like the big book that just said Destruction on the front and had a load of War Scrolls in it, and that was cool. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I think the thing I'd like the most is if they let me have a damn rule subscription and yeah. I never had to buy a battle tome again because I, I've i reached a firm position and that is that I do not like buying books for wargaming or for any other reason but physical books are blight on living in a small flat. Yeah, I have fair. about yeah. a cubic metre of gaming books probably and it's too many uh, and I look at three of them probably with any regularity so yeah yeah, I definitely increasingly buy the book, put it on the shelf, and only ever use the app to actually 
Yeah. You know, maybe I'll read the law once when I buy it, but yeah. I don't even do that. I, I just let other people tell me about the law on a little yeah. site called Bolter and Chainsword. Not really. Last question Oryx or Gobos? Oryx. Gobos? Maybe. Oryx. Sorry, Gobo fans, you freaks. <laughs> I think broadly, maybe Gobos have some more like fun characterful models, but I just I like the Oryx more. The characterful parts of those models aren't the Gobos. Mushrooms with faces, <laughs> bats with squigs, yeah. squigs with wings. Apart from the one who is dripping balls on top of a big mushroom, he's a good model. Yeah, that's a good one. The Shroomancer is that, is that him? <laughs> I think so. It's part of the Gobapalooza, right? Yeah, well, yeah. It's one thereof. Yeah. Tell you what I don't like, much as I like Oryx more than Gobos, I don't like it when the Gobos are like solely there to be like the weird little subservient freaks to the Oryx. That's not a good vibe to me. I don't think it's a problematic vibe. I just don't really like it. Hobgrots mm, get a pass because they're, I don't know, they're like mercenaries, right? What about Popgrot and Stabgrot? Oh, Popgrot. Um, I feel really bad to say it, but nah, they don't do a lot for me. They're cute no. little models, but yeah. God, this is going to make... I, I predict this is going to make me more enemies on our Discord server than anything I've said in any previous episode of 3 and 2. My days are numbered. I know, I was disappointed at how uncontroversial our take was that if you haven't painted your base rooms, you haven't painted your model. I wanted that. <laughs> yeah, no one came for us over that. Yeah, so that to be more divisive. Which, to me, tells me that they right. they all yeah. knew we were right and all went and painted their base rooms quietly whilst listening to the next episode. Oh, God. A small part of me there was just tempted to like launch into a rant about another basing thing, but we'll save it for another time. <laughs> oh, is that it? Any anything else anyone wants to add before we move into outros and wrapping up? No, I think that's um, done for another yeah, month. I think we're done. Yeah. So outro. Where are we hosted? It's I suppose useless to tell you that we're hosted on our own feed now because you won't know that unless you're listening to this episode, in which case you would have found it. But just in case you're listening to this on our website, then, yeah, we are on our own podcast feed now. We are called 3 and 2, all in words, colon, a matched play Age of Sigma podcast. Go find it. It's It doesn't seem to be appearing very high in search results, so get out there, give it a review. If anyone knows lots about like podcast marketing and wants to send me an email about how to do it better i will probably grudgingly listen to you hit the bell <laughs> yeah hit bell so, like so and subscribe say, yeah just join us on patreon for some exclusive content not yet would you like to buy a cushion i don't i don't know how a cushion works. with all our faces on <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay we'll look into the most fucked merch possible <laughs> I don't know, a cushion with all our cats' faces on would be a more that might be better. choice. Yeah. You could have a set of like three square cushions that is literally like the three pictures from the recording window of just <laughs> us in our various hobby rooms. <laughs> that would be truly awful merch. Printed 
printed onto a pillowcase at as low resolution as possible. Waiting for GW to squat bone splitters so I can not get sued when I make a Wurgog Prophet body pillow. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. And it's very true to the work of Prophet in that the longer you look at it, the more of the damage it deals to you. <laughs> eventually yeah we're done <laughs> that's it <laughs> um we used to be hosted on uh tiny plastic people go to tinyplasticpeople.com check them out there's some podcasts they do podcasts james and drew just did a really cool like mini series about prepping for the narrative event that they ran a little while ago uh which is apparently good and i haven't listened to it yet <laughs> so... i have listened to it it was very good i would that's, recommend it okay there you go First-hand review. TPP can keep getting some free advertising from us uh, for a while, presumably to all the same people that already listen to their podcast anyway. <laughs> Social media, you can find us on Blue Sky or Twitter at 32aos.bsky.social, in Blue Sky's case. Or you can email us at 32 podcast at gmail.com 32 podcast at gmail.com I was nice. right, I wonder if anyone emailed us I'm going to look in this email no. <laughs> going to look at this email account for the first time later <laughs> um, I don't think I even knew we had an email account <laughs> I didn't do. know if we said it on the last one All right. we have it now it's mostly for podcast admin stuff to be honest but mm. Um, if you want to email us questions, uh, we like answering questions. Um, and if we keep asking the same 20 people for them, they're probably going to get quite boring. So anyone out there, if you want to email us a question or tweet or skeet as a question, <laughs> I think it's skeet on Blue Sky, which but is But you horrifying. can't toot. You must no, not toot. No, we're not on Mastodon. My emotional bandwidth is limited. <laughs> Yeah, go find us on those social medias. Individually, we also maybe have social media that we're willing to use. You can find me at Rich Nutter on Twitter, or at Rich N on Blue Sky, or at RJ Nutter on Instagram. That's good. They're all different. Matthew, Branding. do you want people to find you online? <laughs> Theoretically, they could find me on. I never tweet though. I have it exists, but I never, I never do anything with it. So it's probably not worth the follow. If I do anything it will be on uh goonhammer or this goonhammer.com yeah click on the age of sigma button yeah how about you laura uh i am scops947 on twitter and instagram and i do sometimes post pictures of minis i've painted so yeah check them out and people can also find there a link to your blog the magma holes Uh, yeah they can it's in my Twitter profile. It should probably be in other places. Um, it should. It's a good blog. I think I I normally put it in the show notes as well. So yeah. Um, but yeah, you update that pretty reliably and do some good writing on it. And then you get to refer to it when we talk about stuff on the podcast as well. Yeah. <laughs> so. Most recently, I've written about Warhammer Underworlds. So if you like Warhammer Underworlds, go and read my tournament report for an Underworlds event I went to. Secretly, the best Warhammer game. Not even. Not secretly. even secretly. Yeah, God, I've just run out of energy right at the end of the podcast. Um, I'm still thinking about a Wurgog Prophet body pillow. 
that's it that's it thanks for listening that's, that's a podcast yeah bye bye, bye.